You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. The leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. Now, we've talked with a lot of people over the years together who are experts in a lot of things, whether it's IT or finance. Some of them are communications experts. And we've talked a lot about the importance of voice. Many of you have listened to my TED Talk or have come joined me for LinkedIn Lives and things where we're talking a little bit more about the technique. But there's levels of technique and there's levels of technique and depth of understanding and the mechanics. And anybody who would like to geek out with me, buckle up because we're going down that rabbit hole today because it's important to understand not just what needs to happen, but how. What do I like to say? The biggest gap in the world is the three inches between your brain and your mouth. We know what we want to say. We just don't know how to actually make it happen when we open our mouths. So today I have someone who's going to help us make it happen. My guest this week is Dr. Mark Wilkinson. Dr. Mark is a renowned educator and voice coach. He is also an actor, a singer, and a voiceover artist. He teaches individuals and groups from all walks of life to find their freedom of their voice, their expression, and of themselves through empowering lessons, workshops, and masterclasses. He earned his doctorate from the combined departments of, get this straight, music, speech and hearing science, and otolaryngology at The Ohio State University, focused on the art of teaching and the science of learning through the lens of vocal performance and singing health. So if he's not an expert, we're all doomed. <laughs> Dr. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Dr. Laura. <laughs> Happy to be here. <laughs> So, and in case anybody out there can't tell by the three words he just uttered, the man's got a voice. And yes, I tested. That is his actual speaking voice. Has he learned to play his instrument in the most optimum way, masterfully possible? Clearly. But no, that's not an effect. That is his real voice. And I'm suddenly really intimidated from the quality of my own. But we're going to muscle through this one together. Dr. Mark, what's your fun fact? My fun fact is that the brain is the only organ that can study itself. That is fascinating. That's a little like head scratcher, a little little puzzle piece for you. I never would have thought about that. Now tell us a fun fact about you, because that's obviously one about all of us. But that's really good, like cocktail party information when you've got <laughs> nothing else to tell. Like you throw that out and be, watch people just stop with their drink kind of mid-tip. Not sure. It, it makes you think, right? <laughs> it does. So what's a fun fact about you? A fun fact about me is that I am a Canadian and I have been fortunate to speak multiple languages. So I grew up speaking French and English. And then, of course, as a singer-actor, I also studied Italian and German because I sing a lot of Italian and German opera. So I am, fun fact-wise, a polyglot. Yes, I love that word. That's, that's been one of my favorites for a long time. And now I have to ask, what is your absolute favorite song to sing, operatic or otherwise? Oh, man. Probably River by Joni Mitchell. Really? Okay, so now you got to give us a couple of bars. Oh, really? Oh, yes. Surprise. Yes. <laughs> no pressure. Come on, Joni Mitchell. Not, 
Because as Mitchell? soon as I heard you, I was like, oh, that guy's a Joni Mitchell singer. I can totally impersonate Joni Mitchell. <laughs> I may have named my car after Joni Mitchell because it's blue and her album blue. So I call her Joni. Nice. All right. Let's hear it. It's coming on Christmas. They're cutting down trees. They're putting up reindeer and singing songs of joy and peace. I wish I had a river I could skate away on. Oh. oh, I wish I had a river so wide. I would teach my feet to fly. Oh, I wish I had a river I could skate away on. <laughs> okay, so I'm done. I'm scrapping all the questions I had for the rest, and you're just going to sing. I don't care okay. if it's opera, Joni Mitchell, or something else. That was awesome. Done. Oh, I love Thank it. You. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how we're going to top that for the rest of the show, but we will persevere. <laughs> we will persevere. So that, that was awesome. So today, where we're going to go from here, what was on the original plan until I just completely detoured that and decided I wanted to be entertained instead. <laughs> <laughs> what we're going to look at today, and yes, we did plan this part in advance for you. There's four things that we are going to get super concrete on for everybody out there. Number one, we're going to address some myths. We're going to do some myth busting about the voice. Number two, we're going to give you some language, some descriptors to accurately describe a voice so that if you're talking about your own or somebody else's, what it is that you do or don't like and what we need to do to make it better. To that point, number three, we will give you actual techniques. This will be a fully participatory podcast episode. So I don't care if you're in the shower, if you're in the car, if you're in the wherever it is, you can hide behind the kid with the big hair, but I will find you and you will participate. So <laughs> do know that. And lastly, we'll give you some warm ups because you got to warm up, not just for singing, but for speaking as well. Mm-hmm. So you should be leaving with truckloads of notes by the end <laughs> of today. So with that, you ready, Dr. Mark? I'm ready. All right. Let's start with some myths. What are some of the most common myths that you hear people express either in questions or in statements about the voice, about their own voice, perhaps? Absolutely. This is one of my favorite topics because myths always come with good intentions and they're always passed down from generation to generation, from teacher to student who becomes a teacher who passes it to students. Mm. So everybody means well. So I always like to preface when I say we're going to talk about myths. We say this judgment free. People just know what they know and people have shared to them what is shared to them. And so I'd like to offer up before we get into the myths, the way that I look at the voice and how the body sort of creates the voice from happening to kind of frame how I look at the voice when we talk about those myths. Okay. So there's sort of four aspects to the voice that I kind of consider the general makeup of our instrument because it is like any instrument, an instrument made up of an entire body of work. Okay. So the first thing is what I call the generation, which comes from the lungs. That's the air power, right? So if we don't have breath underneath us, Mm -hmm. we won't be able to have any voice be created in the first place. Okay. So the first one is generation. The second one is vibration. That's at the level of the actual vocal cords themselves. So that's the vibrator. That's what makes the, uh, uh, the initial sound that we have comes from that larynx. Okay. So that's the vibration. Next up, we have the resonation or resonance, as people may have heard of. And then we have articulation. So resonance, I quickly define as little vibrations that enhance a big vibration. Okay. So you have to have a source of sound, be it a clap of the hands, be it a coming together of the vocal folds. And then you have to have some sort of surface or little surfaces that enhance that big vibration. And then articulation, of course, is the way that we use our teeth, our lips, our tongue, 
and often our soft palate and the back of our throat to create language and articulate understandable language. Okay. So to recap there, before we get into the myths, generation from the lungs, vibration from the cords, resonation from the head, the face, the shape of our skull, all of the space inside of our mouths, and articulation, the tip of the tongue, the teeth, the lips, as we often say, which might come up in the warm up later. (laughs) Got it. Okay, that'll be fun. We'll play with that nice little tongue twister there. Right. So really what you've described, what I've heard is following physically in order of the speech pathway. So the air starts in the lungs, works its way up the throat, so to speak, up into the voice box, otherwise known as the larynx, vocal folds or voice Mm -hmm. cords, et cetera. They will vibrate together and then it bounces all around the rest of the inside of you before it actually comes out of the mouth and or the nose. And of course, however else you form those consonants and vowels with your lips, your teeth, your tongue, all those kinds of things. And that's what makes your voice. Yes. All right. So- Because of that, speaking of the first one with that generator of those lungs, one of the first myths that I hear all the time is sing from your diaphragm, Mm. project from your diaphragm. Now, here's the thing. The diaphragm is the most important muscle of inhalation. Okay. It is the most important muscle for taking in air to the body. So you cannot project or push your voice out from your diaphragm. So how do you project it? Well, what ends up happening is the way we learn to exhale a little bit more slowly, we keep the body nice and open so that the diaphragm doesn't return to its resting phase really quickly. And the example I like to use with students of all ages is a balloon. You know, when you're blowing up a balloon and you accidentally let it go from your lips and it goes, (laughs) yeah. Right? Right. Yes. That's often what can happen when we try to use a lot of air when we're speaking. We go, "Ah," and it all just sort of collapses. Mm. What if I ask my rib cage to stay a little bit more open? So instead, my balloon has a pinhole in it. Instead of just relaxing and releasing all of the air, All of a sudden, I have this controlled sense of exhale that I can sustain for a long time. Mm. So that sustaining of my air is the sustaining of my voice, because if I never run out of air, I'm never going to run out of voice. So I think a lot of people hear things like we need more breath support or we need to. So how do we project then if there are those who are just mumbly or just talk too softly (laughs) or otherwise, you know, like to use a lot of the vocal fry, for example, there's not enough air to allow the vocal. What is a technique that people can use to, if it's not quote unquote, speaking from the diaphragm, Mm -hmm. what is it and how do they do it? How do they do it? The first thing that they can do is start to learn how to expand their rib cage and keep it expanded even while they're speaking. Mm. So that example that I just used of that S that I was sustaining for a really long time, if you think to yourself, okay, so I'm gonna have everybody listening right now. I want you to sit in your chair, stand up in the shower, wherever you are right now. And I want you to think to yourself, all right, I'm gonna exhale all my air really quickly on an S. And just collapse your body. Okay. Now what I want you to do is I want you to imagine, as you can see with my hands here, if you're watching on video form, you're going to keep the rib cage nice and open as you exhale on the S. And you might notice you have a little bit more air left in your body. Here we go. Big inhale. Big 
then you would keep going and keep going and keep going. Sure. And what you're doing is you're training your body to stay suspended, open, free. And that's what we mean by support. If your instrument is open, your voice will be open. If your instrument is collapsed, your voice will be collapsed. What's so beautiful about the voice is the way we inhale and exhale says a lot about what we're going to do at the level of our voice itself. So I would encourage everybody to get used to what I call the accordion. Mm. Think of your rib cage as that accordion that can expand. It sure goes back in and back to neutral, but it has flexibility. It's allowing it to stay open and free for that breath so that as you gently and slowly, but with good energy, exhale your voice, exhale your sound. And then all of a sudden you have better vibration, which gives you better resonance. Mm. It's one and the same. It, as you said, physiologically, it works up that path. Mm. And one of the myths that I often hear speaking of, you are not too nasal. Mm. I promise. Really? I hear all the time that people think that they're too nasal. And so let's talk about what it means to be too nasal. So Dr. Laura, I might recruit your help here as my student okay. today. Thank you. I want you to speak like you have a cold, like you have a really, 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 really bad cold. Go for it. Okay. I'm going to talk like I'm Fran Drescher out of the nanny from the <laughs> 1990s and this is music <laughs> <Exactly>. my nose. <laughs> Now, I want you to talk as nasally as possible and then plug your nose while you're doing it. Okay, I'm going to go through the alphabet A, B, C, D here. I'm going to pinch my nose. Yeah. It doesn't really work <laughs> that good. well. It doesn't work that well. So as Dr. Laura just described and just demonstrated, when your sound is too nasal, if you plug your nose, you will not be able to speak or sing any longer. And in fact, this is a little technical, but there's a difference between nasal and nasalized. Mm. There is resonance in the front of your face. Mm. There is resonance in your nose. And we use those to our advantage. It's when they become so nasal that then it really becomes just a purely nasal sound versus a really clear, full, forward, present voice that includes, yes, a little bit of the nose. Or as one of my teachers says, the nose is in the sound, but the sound is not in the nose. Oh, I like which that. I love, right? That's a great way to Such put a it. lovely way of looking at it. That's yep. Dr. Robin Rice at Rice University, actually. Mm. And uh, he, I love that idea. And then, of course, if you were speaking too far back into your throat, if you covered your mouth, you wouldn't be able to speak either. So if I go, oh, oh, oh. He's covering his mouth, right? There's no more sound because it's primarily resonating in my mouth. Mm. Whereas what you demonstrated is primarily resonating in your nose. So you can't speak or sing. Mm. So ideally, if we find a nice sigh, oh, I could do both of those things at the same time because my resonance is balanced at the front and the back of that beautiful big head we all have yeah. filled with resonance from that vibration from the generation. And then we speak the words and we have articulation and they work together as a team. Those are two huge myths that I hear all the time. So when you think, and I know what my hypothesis is in this, but <laughs> when I've worked with clients who complain that they don't like the sound of their own voice, which again, none of us do. And when we all hear ourselves on a recording, we all think we sound weird. Like that's not really me, is it? It's, there's <laughs> lots of reasons for that. So but without going down that rabbit hole, to the extent that what you hear does appear to be, as many people would describe it, as I sound more nasal than I expected. If it's not nasality, what is it? 
that they might actually be hearing. I have had a number of clients who claim that it's too nasal, but really what they're describing is it could be described as harshness or as as brassiness, as a lot of air in the in the throat, or sometimes it can be also about regional accents, more American, upper Midwest is a very nasal, Chicago is very front. Of the, so, and that is more nasal in fairness, but often it's the brassiness. Where, and of course, the test is if you think you're too nasal, pinch your nose when you speak. And if you can still speak reasonably well, then you know it's not nasal, it's something else. So if it is that harshness or that brassiness, what's a way to balance that out? Because maybe it's about what some people might feel as a more, I'll call it a pleasant sound or a little bit of a softer, less abrasive sound to the voice. Yes. And also when they feel that soft, less abrasive sound, they feel less confident too. So finding that balance between the two. So you said the word balance. So because you said the word balance, I love that word. Let's use that. I think of it on a spectrum. Yes. So I invite everybody listening to this to think of it as a pendulum swinging from one side to the other on a spectrum. So let's all together, let's make a really, really breathy sound. So it's just going to be the breathiest, sort of like Marilyn Monroe singing happy birthday, Mr. Mm. President, right? So we're just going to go, ah, ah. Uh, it sounds like I should be hi, doing a different Laura. kind of phone call. Yes, exactly. I don't feel appropriate doing this for very long. <laughs> and then on the other side of that, we're going to call it harsh, just for the sake of the conversation. So it's going to sound like this. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. That's a lot of work from the throat. To now, me, that sounds so- like my mommy voice when I'm scolding my son because he just crossed the line. That's all right. That's it. Enough. <laughs> at, right from like, I'm done. Is that the mommy exactly. voice, the daddy voice, the, okay, yes. I, I've, you've pushed me past my limit voice. hundred percent. And so clearly we have the capacity to do the extremes. I love exploring because as you mentioned, my background is a teacher. Yes. I'm a huge fan of not saying don't, mm. don't be breathy. Don't be harsh. Well, here's the thing. We can use them to our advantage instead. It's the old don't think about elephants thing. And now you're thinking about elephants. So let's use them and say, okay, so we've done breathy. We've done harsh. What if we took both of them and did them at the same time? So I'm going to have lots of airflow like I did in the breathy. And I'm going to have lots of sound like I did in the harsh. Oh, 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 all of a sudden the pendulum has met in the middle. So rather than doing neither of them, what if you did both at the same time and you gave that voice a little more generator from the Mm -hmm. lungs to feel like you had a little bit more air? Can you demonstrate that? So you showed us what happens when you do the ah from the middle, when you've got the balance of the breath and the harshness. If it's just harsh or predominantly harsh or predominantly breath, what would the contrast sound like? I'm going to do all three. How about that? Great. I'll do. So here's breathy. And you can almost imagine that my cords aren't fully closed right now, Mm. right? The cords come together, but they're not fully together. Over here on the other side is ah, ah, ah. Do you hear that little click in the Mm -hmm. voice? Ah, ah. And then somewhere in the middle, ah, ah. Oh, then there's balance again. So there's Mm. enough airflow to sustain the voice, but there's also enough tension because tension isn't always bad. Strain is bad, but tension in the right way from that harshness, because there has to be something good about the harsh sound. It's obviously very clear. It carries. It's commanding. 
but it might not be sustainable. So I'm a big fan of saying, let's look at both sides of the spectrum and embrace them both. So I encourage our listeners to play with all sides of that spectrum. And let me tell you, for example, if I could take a singing example, certain repertoire is a little breathier and certain repertoire is a little harsher, right? You know, jazz is a little bit more in the mouth and a little bit cooler. And, you know, whereas musical theater is a little bit more brassy and a little bit more projecting to the sound. So it's not necessarily that one has to be bad. It's just that we're finding that spectrum to find as balanced of a sound as possible. And I love the continuum concept because people tend to talk too much in either or. And I hear a lot of people when we talk about finding your leadership voice, if they have been challenged or been confronted or whatever with being too X, I have a reputation of being too assertive or I'm too soft, I'm too that they go to the opposite extreme thinking that they have to flip a switch as opposed to looking at it, the analogy that I like to use and tell me if this works for you, (laughs) if this resonates with you as Uh it works. (laughs) is that your voice is like a DJ's mixing board and there's lots of levers. And if one is about breath, more breath and less breath, i.e. less harsh and more harsh or less brass and more brass, you can just move that from a six to a 6.5 if necessary. So in this context, are you going to play a little more jazz? Are you going to play a little bit more Broadway? Then how much further up do you need to slide it or down? You have this instrument, whether you were born with a piccolo or a tuba, (laughs) doesn't matter, but learn to play all the notes and all the styles. I mean, you mentioned a clarinet before. Clarinet can be used to play classical or Dixieland. And it's also in Broadway and it's in all those great things. And it can be used by the same artist to play whatever style of music they want at that point. And and we should be able to have that same facility in moving all those little teeny levers in nuances, just little bits of nudges until we find that perfect sound that we're looking for. I mean, am I just being too dramatic in my language here? Does this sound right? Now you got me all thinking about Broadway. No, I love the way you use the continuum to make an analogy out of that mixing board. It's true. It's playing with levels. And it's also an opportunity for me to give a little shout out to the fact that different cultures and different identities use different mixes of those spectrums, of those continua. And so it's, of course, really important for me when I'm working with clients to acknowledge, hey, I don't want to take you out of the conversation. I don't want to rid you of your personality or of your culture, of your identity. It's about how do we embrace it? How do we use the good parts of it? How do we embrace what already works so that that tweaking doesn't make anyone feel like there's anything wrong with them, but that there's hopefully a reason or a purpose that we come to together in a safe and comfortable environment to understand why we're playing with the mixing board and embracing that maybe some cultures and and some personalities like to be a little bit quieter. I don't want to make anybody who they're not, but how can we take that and use it to our advantage? You know, someone like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who is just a beloved figure, didn't have a huge voice, right? You know what I mean? And and she was who she was, but she was a leader in her own right. And then there are people with big voices and we follow them too. So I just to give a shout out to anyone who's listening, who you can still be yourself. Yes. And I think that notion of being oneself is also important to realize that that is also not a finite construct. You were not born knowing how to play jazz or classical or Broadway, yes. or whatever yes. else you had to learn to play it. And you talk yeah. about different cultures. Many of us have studied multiple languages. You named four that you've got. I've got four to varying degrees of how much trouble can I get myself into. <laughs> and you know a few others that I've studied and messed around with along the way. But 
owning all of those languages was never originally part of my identity. Now it is. Am I as competent or confident in some as in others? No, but it doesn't mean I'm being inauthentic to be working through how to connect there. I lived in Japan for a number of years and in customer service and in certain other contexts, a quote unquote pleasant female voice was very high and very Mickey Mouse like. And many mm-hmm. was very nasal and very, there was an affect to it, which for them was contextually appropriate. It wasn't faking. Mm-hmm. It was just, that's what people want to hear yep. in those places. So for me, in certain contexts, I needed to learn to use that so that I blended. And I didn't feel like it was important for me not to feel like, well, that's not who I am. That's Mm -hmm. not my identity. I'm being fake. I'm hiding myself. That's a different degree. That was maybe, I don't like it. (laughs) It doesn't feel natural. I can have various feelings about it and whether or not I, I want to use it. But I also know if my goal is to be received in a certain way and I need them to hear my message. Mm -hmm. And the only way to have that audience hear this message, if it's delivered in this wrapping, because then they can hear the message better than, okay, let me put my ego aside and not say, but I don't like talking in that voice. Okay. Well then I can make that choice. It's my right. It's my prerogative Mm -hmm. and say, this is me. That's not me. Black, white. Yes. But okay. Then I also know I'm not going to get the response that I'm looking for most likely. So, you know, it's a trade-off and Mm -hmm. we're not saying anybody should just give up, but I think the notion of expanding your identity to incorporate more and more of those different musical genres, as (laughs) it were, I think is by far the most empowering choice that we can make. So there's my philosophical waxing for the moment, uh, and I'll get off that soapbox. But uh, (laughs) am am I off base on any of this in your esteem? Not at all. It, It just sounds to me like you're speaking to people rather than speaking at people. And that's always a beautiful way to move through the world. Yes, I can't say it better than that. So we're going to move on. You know what? I think we have hit on a bunch of stuff that is super powerful. I want to make sure that we do have time at the end for those warm-ups because do you agree that warming up for speaking is just as important as warming up for singing? Almost more important because we take it more for granted with our speaking. Mm. We don't associate warming up with speaking. So I would almost say sort of psychologically, we have to embrace it even more. So one of the things that's really important to remember is that when you wake up, you have just had your body in one or two positions for a good seven to eight hours and you haven't been moving your body. So the first thing I always say about warming up is the best vocal warm up is a physical warm up. Whatever that means to you. If you love Tai Chi, do some Tai Chi. If you love yoga, do some yoga. If you like Pilates, do some Pilates. If you Whatever moves your body, you're getting the blood flowing. You're loosening up the joints. The muscles are finding range of motion. That is already going to do wonders for your body because your body is your instrument. Just as you said, Laura, it's not just this little voice box in here. It's this whole expression of who we are in our whole body. So the first thing, of course, is a physical warm-up, whatever calls to you. The next is just getting those vocal cords to come together nice and healthily and get them woken up, saying, all right, guys, here we go. (laughs) Time to get the day started. So one of the best things you can do is just a gentle hum, like the sound of an M or an N. So just gently gliding down, maybe even down to up, just sirening up and down through the voice. So I encourage everyone at home to just give that a try. Just up and down, even sustaining one note if that calls to you. 
And you might notice if you put your fingers on your cheeks when you hum, you might feel a little bit of vibration there. Mm. Yep, I can feel it right in, yeah. in those little nasal folds, those little smile lines around the corners of your mouth. You put your fingertips there. That's right. Those sinuses that get clogged <laughs> when we have a cold. Now what I want you to do, everybody, and Dr. Laura, please join in, is I'd like you to place your fingers on the mid to side part of your throat. Okay. And now I want you to do that thing everybody does when they're tired and they're speaking and they do what's called vocal fry. Uh, uh, oh my God, I can't believe you actually said that. All uh, right. Uh, uh, <laughs> so as you're hearing or feeling, you might feel a lot of vibration in your throat when hmm. you do that. Uh, uh, now, put your fingers back on your cheeks okay. and do the vocal fry again. Uh, uh, yeah, there's not no, a lot not much. happening. Now go back to the hum with your fingers on the cheeks. Mm. Mm. Ah, that was different, yep. right? So you know that you're going to be starting to resonate a little bit more with that hum if your fingers are up on the cheek because you feel that there. Then from there, one of my other favorite things to do is called a lip trill. And also gliding up and down in your pitch. Like blowing raspberries or yeah. blowing their lips into your chocolate milk when you were a kid. Yeah. And I like to go up and down and sustain a note, whichever okay. calls to you. Both of those work. We're just getting the vocal folds stretching and shortening, stretching and shortening. And then, of course, the five major vowels. E, A, A, O, U. And you can practice those on your breathy, your harsh, and your balance spectrum. You can practice those. E, A, <laughs> oh, it doesn't work, right? right? You can practice with too far forward and too far back in the voice as well, mm -hmm. finding that balance. And then from there, as I mentioned, a little bit of articulator work, the tip of the tongue, the teeth, the lips, the tip of the tongue, the teeth, the lips, just getting that nice and ready to go. So just practice that at home, the tip of the tongue, the teeth, the lips. I've heard other variations. The tip of the tongue, the teeth, the lips, the tip of the tongue, the teeth, the lips. Okay. <laughs> Very good. And so what you want to do is you want to explore that vibration, that resonation, that articulation, all through that beautiful exhale that we worked on to bring those four things together, not only on a sustained note around your spoken range, but as I demonstrated from the bottom to the top of your voice. So that's my quick little five minute warm up for everybody to just do warm up the voice, get those four aspects of the voice going through up and down, through sustained notes, through vowels, through consonants, and you'll just find that your voice will just last that much more throughout the day. I love it. And for those of us who are on Zoom or Teams or phone calls, just one meeting after another, it can be really tiring. No matter how good your microphone is, no matter how many people are on the call, when you're using your voice as frequently as I am, I'm sure as frequently as you are, Dr. Mark, you really can't afford to skip those kinds of warmups. And I definitely am guilty of skipping them, even though I <laughs> theoretically can't afford them. I need to integrate them more into my daily practice just because I do get vocal fatigue by the end of the day. I'm just tired and physically tired, not to mention tired of the sound of my own voice, <laughs> but as many of us can, can you know, relate to by the end, hopefully tired of one's own voice, not just of mine, but nevertheless, it just helps for that ability to sustain when you just have to keep going without losing your voice and really causing some damage to it later. And one of the things that I say, and I love what you just said, because you have to think about it, 
right? You really do have to think about it because one of the things that I get people to think about is maybe you're more of a professional voice user than you think. Mm. You don't have to be an actor or a well-known public speaker, quote unquote, or a singer or anything like that. If you're a lawyer who talks to a judge all day, you are speaking professionally. (laughs) If you work at a call center, you are speaking professionally. If you're a podcaster, you are speaking professionally. So I really enjoy sort of blowing people's minds when they go, oh, I am a professional talker. I literally have to talk all day. Maybe a teacher in a high school with lots of kids running around, right? Taking care of that voice. So when I frame it that way, I'm going off that word of thinking about it that you just used. It's like you think about it, you and the voice differently. Yes. And I have said many a time, and it's in my book, that I define public speaking as anytime you're talking to someone other than yourself. So <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> whether it's in the classroom, in the courtroom, in the office, here on Zoom, you are public speaking. You have an idea that you need to convey to someone else and you want them to receive it as intended. So you are public speaking. Congratulations. Now use your voice well, treat yes. it well so it serves you in return. So have we summed this up? Any final thoughts on uh, last tips? Anything we missed, Dr. Mark? That was beautiful. Last thing I would say, just to take care of your voice all the time, meaning get good sleep, drink lots of water, take care of you know alcohol consumption before you have to speak too much. Meaning not too much alcohol, not have extra before you need to speak. Not too much. Thank you. Okay. Yes. Good clarification. <laughs> not extra shot of liquid courage. I think there are those who feel like they need the liquid courage shot before they go on. That's not what you're encouraging. Or as some of my clients say, to try to get the baritone voice like me, take some vodka, you know, to lower the voice. (laughs) Oof, Oof. that would make the vocal fry at best, just or the gag reflex kick in, whichever comes first. But yeah, think about the foods that trigger your acid reflux, because that's not going to help your voice either. So Mm -hmm. a lot of general health ideas are very good for your voice too. So to take care of yourself is also to take care of your voice. And then you don't have to warm up as long because if you're always ready to go and you're always using your voice well, you'll find that what used to be a 20 minute voice warm up can really shorten to like a good five minutes because you're always ready to go. Mm. But ultimately at the end of the day, be kind to yourself, be kind to your voice and be who you are, express yourself. And if I can add some mixing to your DJ table there today. That's really what I want to offer. So yeah, thank you so much. Oh, I love it. And thank you for those health tips and the food tips. I think people tend to forget. So thoughts on things like dairy before, after, does that make mucus? Does that not make mucus? I've heard all sorts of arguments. It really depends on your reaction to dairy. And it depends on your reaction to acidic foods. There used to be this conversation about things like tomatoes and onions and garlic and the typical sort of acidic foods that could give you reflux. What really comes down to is what foods trigger your reflux, Mm. because there are people from different cultures, from different backgrounds who can eat spicy food and they're fine. Right. Yes. (laughs) And then there's people like me who eat spicy food and have to take a day off. So it's like, (laughs) you know, there's. You don't want that. We don't want that. So there's different reactions to things. So it's about getting to know what works for you. If you find you can consume dairy and your voice feels clear and there's no problems, go for it. I'm not going to tell you not to have dairy then. But if you find that that gives you that that sort of feeling of phlegminess to your voice, then don't have it. Just get to know your body. Gluten can be tough for some people because it can be a little inflammatory. So if you have any issues with gluten, just avoid that before you speak. Caffeine? Hmm, caffeine. Good question. So the literature is starting to say that caffeine isn't necessarily drying for your voice in and of itself. The problem is, is when you only drink caffeine and don't have water as well, Mm -hmm. that's what ends up being drying. You're just dehydrated. It's not necessarily the coffee that did that to you. 
or the caffeine is that you didn't also have water. So it's more of a what we would say correlation than causation. Sure. So just be sure that if you are having caffeine, that you're having lots of fruits and veggies that have water in them, also having water, drinking electrolytes, things like that. If you're working out, just replenishing that sense of hydration. But yeah, I've sort of changed my tune on caffeine because it turns out it might not be as drying itself as we once thought. I would presume, and you can tell me if there's any argument one way or another, that the quantity might also be a factor. So having a morning cup versus an IV drip throughout the day, perhaps, <laughs> for those who need a whole pot to get through the day, that they may be more susceptible to voice challenges than those who just have the morning cup or maybe a you know half a cup in the afternoon as a midday pick-me-up. Am I off base on this? Not at all. Okay, not my hallucination. As Oscar Wilde said, everything in moderation, including moderation. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. So, All right. On that note, Dr. Mark, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you for all of your wisdom. Is there anything that you'd like to give our audience today? Absolutely. I would love to offer anybody who reaches out to Dr. Laura their own sort of PDF document of the things that we've talked about today for all of my best tips and tricks for taking care of the voice, the concepts that we talked about today with the way the voice works, the exercises, the warm-ups. This is usually something that I would charge for, but today I'd like to offer it to anyone who's listening. So please be in touch with Dr. Laura. I will happily forward on a PDF of some of my most important tips and tricks. And yes, a couple of myths for all of you for joining us today. I'd like to just offer that to you all. That's fabulous. Thank you so much, Dr. Mark. I'm sure lots of people will take you up on that. So here's the call to action for anyone. If you want Dr. Mark's PDF with a summary of all the main exercises and vocal care tips and myth busts, et cetera, that we talked about today, go to my website, vocalimpactproductions.com and to the contact page and just click contact us there and tell us what you want. <laughs> so we can't wait to hear that you listen to the episode and that you want to take these tips to heart and to voice. So with that, again, Dr. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. It's a joy to be here. And to everybody out there, thank you for sticking with us all the way through listening to our conversation. As always, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify Stitcher, your platform of choice, so we can help even more people to increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my free guide for equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, microphones also, a good mic, will help <laughs> your voice sound better. Hint, hint, hint. Go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, 
its job or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.